of life. We desperately need uh, encouragement. And we started that series last week, and there's sheets there with the points for last week. Uh, I'm going to give out sheets for this week. Usually this would be on the, on the screen. Thank you. It would be on the screen, <coughs> and you would get it at the end of the service. But I'm going to give it out today at the beginning, so you can actually follow along with me as we go. But we're going to be looking at the biblical teaching and encouragement. I'm not going to read a Bible passage again because there, there are various passages of scripture that we're going to look at on the way through. So I just ask you to bear with me as we talk about it and then maybe look at it later on. But last week we were thinking about personal encouragement. And we were making the point, and I'm sure you'll agree with the point, that you can't encourage anybody else if you yourself are discouraged. And there are so many things happen in life to discourage us. We're not short of things that would discourage. The devil himself would seek to discourage the saints in the work of Christ. And there are plenty of things happen in church life that can discourage us. Even the comments that, that people may make. And in family life, goodness me, are there not plenty of folk in family life who will discourage us? I always remember when I said to my family, this wasn't my parents, my mother and father, but I said to my aunts and uncles, I was the only one in the family, no brothers or sisters, and I said to my uncles and aunts, I felt led to, to train for the ministry. And they said, forget it, you'll never make it. So it's a nice word of encouragement along the way. But my mother my mother blessed her, she said, son you'll make it. <laughs> and it was that kind of thing that encouraged along the way. But there's plenty of folk in family life that will help to discourage us along the way. And we need to have tremendous encouragement. And we looked at last week, it's First Samuel chapter 13 verse 6 where we find that terrible episode in David's life when he comes back from not being allowed to fight with the Philistines. He comes back to this area called Ziklag discovers that his wives had been taken, all the troops' wives had been taken, and all that was left was a burning camp. And the troops thought, well, let's, let's stone David. It wasn't really a good day for David. And we find in that lovely verse of 1 Samuel 13, verse 6, that David encouraged himself in the Lord. Or the modern versions have it, David strengthened himself in the Lord. And folks, when there's nobody else to encourage us, we need to turn to the Lord. The Lord is always the first port of call when it comes to encouragement. He will encourage us when nobody else will. And we took it from there and went on to Joshua chapter 24. The, the closing talk, or the closing sermon or closing speech of Joshua before he dies to the nation that he's brought into the promised land. And he's talking there in Joshua 24 verses 1 to 13 about how wonderfully the Lord has delivered them. How the Lord has taken them through so many experiences. And, and he said, this is the Lord's doing. It's the Lord that has brought us here. And he says, he's almost like saying to the people of Israel, to the nations, I want you to focus on God's faithfulness. Focus on God's faithfulness. And we were saying last Sunday, where is your focus? Where is your focus? And that focus comes through there in Joshua 24 as well, about Joshua talking about his own faith. He says, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the gods of the wilderness and the desert? But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you have to have a focus on the witness of God's people. 
and there are other people in the faith who have gone through some difficult times and sometimes as we listen to how the Lord has brought them through we get encouraged I'm encouraged so often in the work I do in, in Kirky Baptist Church and the visits I make about folk who have come through some horrendous experiences and they're just a, a, a lie for God it's wonderful to come alongside people who have come through some terrible illness and their testimony is so great and Joshua is saying as for me and my house we're going to serve the Lord what about you? and the wonderful thing about that last chapter there of Joshua 24 is the people begin to respond in verse 18 they say Joshua we are going to serve and obey the Lord Uh, and maybe Joshua doesn't quite hear that so in verse 21 they say Joshua we are going to obey and we are going to serve the Lord don't think he quite heard because in verse 24 they say the same thing Joshua just want to tell you we're going to obey and we're going to obey the Lord and we're going to serve the Lord I think by that time he got the message. We found that there's generous words of the people. Do you ever focus on that? Can the generosity of the testimony come not just from one person like Joshua, but from the whole community of God's people, the church? And the church can be such a help to us. And then there's that one other verse in that chapter of Joshua 24 that talks there about the Lord has been faithful for the entire journey. And that's a great word of encouragement to you and to me. The Lord's going to see you through the entire journey. What tremendous encouragement that is. And so we looked at this, that where is your focus? Where is your focus? And what is your state as a Christian? What do you have in Christ? And I said to you, if ever you're in doubt, go over to Ephesians chapter 1. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We are blessed with every blessing in the heavenly places. A whole list of things. We have so much potential in Christ that we're not going to allow folk to discourage us because the Lord has given us so much and he wants to bless us and he wants to use us in that ministry. And then we turned, remember last week, we turned to Romans chapter 12 because we have to think carefully about ourselves. Not only thinking right about the Lord, but think carefully about ourselves. And it says in in Romans chapter 12, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But think of yourself with sober judgment. And that means have a right assessment of yourself. Don't talk yourself down. Don't belittle yourself. Don't make yourself greater than you are or or put pride into your life. But think with sober judgment as to who you really are in Christ. And it's good to get, get yourself sorted out in that area. Just to think, where are you regarding yourself? And that Romans 12, uh, chapter 12 and verse 3 is a very important section there. And then we're on in Romans chapter 12 to talk about that relationship, the corporateness, a thankful cooperation with others. The body of Christ is, is a unity and diversity. And we said that verses 9 onwards in Romans chapter 12 is really Paul's manual on encouragement. Folks, are you encouraged? Because there's plenty of discouragers. And you'll never encourage anyone else if you're not encouraged yourself. That's a resume of last week. Let's just go to this week then. We're thinking this time about what biblical encouragement looks like. You know in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 it talks about the body of Christ. That if one member suffers, we all suffer. But it also says if one member rejoices, we all rejoice. And that's true of the word of God. Discouragement is a sure sign of a disease in Christ's body. 
The deepest principle in human nature, said a man called William James, is the craving to be appreciated. We all crave to be appreciated. Somebody else has written this, that people are healed by encouragement. They grow to like themselves in a healthy way if they're encouraged. They reduce their self-despising through encouragement. Beware of a church of encouragers. Listen to this. Beware of a church of encouragers. You're going to have space problems. You have a job fitting everybody in. If you have a church of encouragers, people will want to be part of that. Because they'll find themselves being built up in their faith. Here's a, an 80 year old saint. You'll see it there in your sheet. You all get your sheets, eh? You'll see it there. The 80 year old saint in Canada wrote someone a note. If he earns your praise, bestow it. If you like him, let him know it. Let words of true encouragement be sent. Don't wait until life is over and he's underneath the clover. For he cannot read his tombstone when he's dead. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Mark Twain once said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. I can live for two months on a good compliment. There's a story told of a Jamie, and, and Jamie was a child at school with learning difficulties. And he was coming out of the, the school where he was for, for children with learning difficulties, and his mum was there with a the car, and, and he said to his mum, he said, No, mum, I've got the, the most important part in the school play. Oh, she said, oh, I'm so delighted for you, Jimmy. And she says, Tell me, what is the part that you have been given in the school play? I, I am the one to cheer on everybody else. I've been given the part to cheer on everybody else. One of the words for encouragement is parakelio, which means to call alongside. You may recognize the Greek word, a bit like the Greek word for spirit and comfort, the paraclete, to be called alongside. You know, beloved, you'll never know how close we are to the Holy Spirit until we become encouragers. The Holy Spirit is that one who is called alongside to help us. And this word paracalio presumes that the object of calling alongside is under pressure. Fearful, weak, overwhelmed. And therefore it means to strengthen by giving appropriate aid. We're never more like the Holy Spirit as when we're comforting, consoling, and strengthening other people in their faith. The ancient Greeks sometimes used this word parakalio, that it's used for encouragement in the Bible. They sometimes used this word to describe military reinforcements, reinforcements in the midst of the battle. Military reinforcements in the midst of the battle. Today we want to explore what encouragement looks like. Biblical encouragement presumes that Christians can get under pressure. There can be intense pressure at times. Not just the normal pressure of everyday life in a broken world, but the actual pressures of serving Christ in the home front, in the workaday world, in the school, in the office, in the university. There's a spiritual battle going on there that we all need the strengthening that we find in the Word of God. Somebody's written this, that biblical encouragement communicates God's truth and hope in ways that personally strengthen others to follow God's will for their lives. Biblical encouragement communicates God's truth and hope in ways that personally strengthen others to follow God's will for their lives. And the fact is that God is the greatest encourager. 
And there are people who think, well, well, God's not like that. He takes his kill joy and takes away the joy from our lives. That, folks, is not true. Oftentimes we find that God will comfort his people with all the comfort so that when they are in difficulty and meet other folk in difficulty, they can share that comfort as well. And we find that Jesus is like that. He is the the paraclete called alongside to help. And and Jesus said, I will give you another comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you and who will be in you. And so we find that Father, Son and Holy Spirit are just among the greatest encouragers of all. (coughs) It's a trinity of encouragement that we find in the word of God. Now I said to you last week, we're going to be looking at four words today. That regard, we're finding the scriptures in various words. And one of them is affirmation. The second is praise. The third is consolation. And the fourth is exhortation. And we said last week that we want to give each of these words a context. And the context is this, to affirm those who do not see their value and potential, to praise those who are taking scary steps of faith, to console those who have had their spiritual wind knocked out of them, and to exhort those who are tempted to give less than their best. Let's go to the first one. To affirm those who do not see their value and potential. Where do we look? Let's look at our Bibles if you have them with you. Uh, John chapter 1 verses 41 and 42. John's Gospel chapter 1 and verses 41 and 42. So what do we find in these couple of verses regarding Jesus meeting up with Simon Peter? It says there in John chapter 1 verse 40 that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and to tell him that we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John, you'll be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. I want you to put your finger, or just in your mind if you like, on that word, Jesus looked at him. Now it's not very clear in the version that you may have, I don't know what version you have, but the word in Greek there is not the usual word for looked. The word there is gazed intently into that man's life. Is that not encouraging? That Jesus looks intently into Simon's life and he sees a rock. He sees a rock. Jesus affirms this man even before he's anything like he's going to be in the day of Pentecost. That Jesus affirms this man, you will be Cephas, which is translated as Peter. And I want you to know that in these days, Jesus looks intently into your life and mine and he can see things that nobody else can see. I just find that so encouragement, so encouraged. I think I said to you last week, when I was in this message bike in the shop for all these years and, and not getting into the shop life itself, I saw a message boy in me. And this manager, this supervisor comes along and he sees a manager. And that was encouraging. I was all for packing it in. I was fed up with that bike and going all, all kinds of weathers. But you know, it's a wonderful thing about Jesus. He called Peter a rock. And that's tremendous. This is how Jesus wins our hearts. We first come to Christ. He saw not only as we are as sinners needing a saviour. 
But he sees us with a ministry and a potential to be followers of Christ. You see, the principle here is, you'll see it quoted there, if you think, only think of people as they are, they'll remain as they are. If you see people as they could be, they will find you encouraging them no end. Do you believe that? If you think of them only as they are, they'll remain as they are. If you see people as they could be, they will find you encouraging them no end. Affirm those who do not see their value and potential. Secondly, we need to praise those who are taking scary steps of faith. Now look up the dictionary as to find the difference between affirmation and praise. Because to me, they'll sound you the same. If you affirm somebody, do you not praise them? It's very interesting the, dif- the difference in meaning. To affirm is to encourage the fact of something. Now if somebody can't sing, you don't go up to say, oh, I want to affirm you in your singing. I, th- I think your singing is fantastic when it's rubbish. <laughs> but if a person can sing and perhaps they've got maybe a wee bit to learn along the way, you say, I just want to affirm you. God's in that singing voice of yours and I just want to affirm you in that. And so we affirm people in things that are a fact. They may not be there. You may be somebody's trying to preach, like me. <laughs> and you're saying, well, he's not quite there yet. But I want to affirm him or her because I think God's in that person's life. There's a lovely lad that I just love dearly in the Lord. And he's in Wester Hills. I go to Wester Hills and preach occasionally. And there's this lad from Wester Hills. Wester Hills is a difficult area. And this lovely lad called Gary, I'd love to get him here to preach. And, and he's come through so much in Western Hills. There's some rough kids there in Western Hills. And the Lord touched his life and, and he felt called to the ministry. And there he is, come through Baptist College. <coughs> and he's now been accepted by the Baptist Union for ministry and looking for a church and finding it difficult to get a church, you know. But you know this, I, I, last time I was there, I said to the folks in the congregation, at the end of this service, I'm going to affirm Gavin. I'm just going to pray for him. Well, he leads the service there. He preaches through there. But they're still looking for a minister. I don't want somebody from within their own congregation. But I just want to affirm Gavin. Because I just see God's hand on this young man's life. And I can see the growth in this young man's life. He's not there yet. And affirmation is like that. You're affirming a fact in a person's life. You're not lying through your teeth. Even though they're not there yet, you're affirming. But praise is different. Praise is just something that to express warm approval or admiration. You're not talking about it's a fact that you can do this and I'm affirming you in that. You're just praising people. That's very important. This is what happens when we have children. And we're waiting till that time. Well, we've had the grandchildren. Well, I've getting the grandchildren every week now. But we, we, Matthew, we watched him taking those first steps. You hold them up and you, come on, son, come on. You take those steps, you know. And when you're not looking, he takes the steps. You know, that kind of thing happens. But you just want to praise him when he takes those wonderful steps. And, and now it's the potty training. And we're saying, come on, son. They said, there's a wonderful thing going to happen here, you know. And there's potty training. And his father's got his wonderful, wonderful names for man. Marbles and all kinds of things that are going to happen. And, he's looking, and the wee daughter, she's always thinking, Dad, I've got more marbles. And all, oh, you're doing great. And this praise comes through along the way. And all the kind of things that they're trying to say. But praise fortifies our children who keep trying until they master the skills. 
My son, well, one son and three daughters. My, my son was a difficult child at school, very difficult indeed. He may have been dyslexic and found difficulty in reading. School was a, a loss to him. Nothing seemed to sort of come together. In terms of exams, you can forget the exams. And I used to have him crying sometimes. I was trying to get him to read and trying to get him to do some homework. And it just, it just wasn't working. And we were trying to say, what, what can you praise him for? He was getting him into all sorts of trouble. And, and they were, you're always calling out his name as, as doing something wrong. And, and we were thinking, what could you praise him for? Well, the days came when we, you could praise him for things because he, he wanted to be a drummer. Now, a drummer in the manse in Dunoon. Don't if you know the experience of that because I said, son, if you're going to be drumming in this room, the front bedroom, we'll need to sort of put some soundproofings. So we got these, do you remember these egg, egg trays you used to get, about 30 eggs on the trays? I had them over all the wall with wee nails. And, and as I was putting the nails in, there were wee flies coming out of the egg trays. I said, so I don't know how this is going to go. It's a semi-detached we were in at the time. And, and of course, he wanted a 17-piece drum kit. I mean, the, the drum kit filled the room. And I, I would go out in my visitation, I would come back, and I would hear the sound of not-too-distant drums <laughs> coming through from this, <laughs> from this bedroom. And I said, oh, son, you know. And the neighbours that we had were fantastic. Absolutely wonderful neighbours that we had all the time that he was learning drums. The only problem was, in the Baptist church in Dunoon, we don't do drums. They were not into drums in those days. And so he wasn't even allowed to, to use this gift. And the only, almost the only thing you could praise him for. But there was this other guy in the air called Richard. And Richard had a, a terrible background. He'd been wonderfully converted by the Lord. And Richard got to know, uh, to Kenny. And Richard was in a wee apostolic church in Dunoon. And Richard says, Kenny... You can come and play your drums in our wee church. I'm sure his drum can nearly fill the church as well, but never mind. And we were so thrilled that some other Christian took him under their wing and were willing to let him. And we just gave thanks to God and were praising Kenya that he was able to use his gift. And, and that was really wonderful along the way. Praise is one of those things that you, we don't often pick up on. We pick up on the things that people get wrong. We sometimes fail to look out for something to praise something for. Do you ever feel like that? We pick up on the things that people get wrong. And we forget to praise those who are doing something right. Norman Vincent Peale wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. A lot of Christians were against it. Because it's one of these sort of self-help books that Christians might not be into. Anyway, he wrote this book called The Power of Positive Thinking. He was a pastor. And what happened was, in this book he tells a story about going along to this woman who was at loggerheads with another woman. Perish the thought in church life, that could ever happen. Anyway, there were two women at loggerheads in the church life. And they went to the first one and she said, what a terrible woman uh, this other woman was. And she went through a whole list of things, how terrible she was to her. And Norman Vincent Peale said, said to her, is there anything that she can get right? Is there anything that she does well? Oh yes, she says, she's a wonderful baker. There's nobody in the church can, can bake like she does. Oh, she says, I'm, I'm glad to know that she can do something like. So he goes to the other woman, and he said to the other woman, I've just been to see Mrs. So that terrible, and he's going to give another tirade of what she, that woman was like. He said, wait, wait a minute, wait. I was talking to her, and, and she said to me, 
that you're the finest baker in the church. Did she say that? Yeah, she said that. Well, you know, you know, she, she's not too bad at hospitality herself. You know, and Vincent Peale said, Norman Vincent Peale said in the book, that was the, the beginnings, just the beginnings of something coming together. It's so easy to get into all the things that people do wrong and forget to praise the things that they made you right. And let's just go to the second, the third theme now, which speaks of us. Encouragement affirms those who don't see the value and potential. Encouragement praises those who are taking scary steps for faith. The third one is encouragement consoles those who have had the spiritual wind knocked out of them. Where do we find the need for encouragement in the form of consolation? Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. And what we find there in that verse in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14 it says, And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle... Encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And that word there, timid in my version, actually means the faint-hearted. Those who are faint-hearted, those who have had the spiritual wind knocked out of them, not just the timid, but the faint-hearted. And he thinks of that in the, the Christian church. And so he teaches, if you go back there to 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 14 to 18, he's actually talking there about the coming again of the Lord Jesus. I think I mentioned to you last week, the reason why Paul has to encourage them in the second coming of Christ is because he, he looks out for the second coming of Christ himself. But not just that. People have stopped working. They were idle. They become busybodies because they thought that the return of Jesus was so close, why bother working? So Paul has to put them straight and say, look, get back to work. You should be back working, you should be back serving the community, and Jesus Christ, I want you to know, is coming again. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and, and those that remain will be caught up to meet him in the air, and so we shall ever be with the Lord. Isn't it wonderful to know that Christ is coming again? Hallelujah. We need to be living our lives today in the light of his coming again. That's so powerful and so helpful. And what does Paul say at the end of that? Look at verse 18. Therefore encourage each other with these words. Encourage them. And there's a sense of consolation here because what had happened in Thessalonians was people had died. Relations had died. Christians had died. And the people are saying to Paul, Paul, what's going to happen to our loved ones? What's going to happen to them? Christ has not returned. And people, and Paul wants to encourage them in the Lord and say, Look, they'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The Lord hasn't forgotten them. You console yourself, comfort yourself, encourage yourself with these words. You see, God never promises that we're going to get an easy passage. There's all sorts of things go on in life. We'll, we'll be broken, we'll find ourselves, we find ourselves in a spiritually hostile world. We'll suffer broken hearts and the loss of loved ones, or the, the Thessalonians did, economic reversals, poor health and agonizing family problems, ministry opposition and failure. And when these pile up, we find ourselves under a cloud of despair. And what we need in those times, those during times, is the consolation of God. 
I just need to be consoled. I just need to the comfort of the Lord. I just need to be encouraged that everything's under control, that, that the Lord knows what's going on. And that's so powerful and helpful. And so we find these words in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Therefore encourage each other with these words. Okay then. Encouragement affirms those who don't see their value and potential. Encourage praises those who are taking scary steps of faith. Encourage consoles those who had the spiritual wind not out of them. And then finally, encouragement exhorts those who are tempted to give less than their best. And we sometimes forget that encouragement includes exhortation. And what is exhortation? It's a message of warning or encouragement designed to motivate persons in action, to action. And the Apostle Paul often exhorted his fellow Christians to live out their calling and their ministry in Christ. That's for Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy with me, chapter 4 and verses 2 and 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 2 to 5. Here is Paul exhorting his son in the faith, Timothy. Chapter 2, verses 4, uh, chapter 2, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1, 2, and 5. In the presence of God and of Christ, you will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. I give you this <coughs> exhortation. I give you this word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Look at verse 5. But you keep you keep your head in all situations. Or in Glasgow we say keep the heat <laughs> in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Did you notice there in verse 3? It says there, sorry, in, in verse 2 rather, it says, Be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. Interesting that correction and rebuking comes alongside encouragement. And folks, they belong together. We had a woman in uh, Dunoon Baptist Church and, and uh, we, she, she, she volunteered to be the cleaner. Actually we paid her, it wasn't just a, a volunteer job. And then a few months into the job she started to complain. She says, this church is too dirty. Now I thought, you know, a cleaner was meant to clean what might have been dirty. But anyway, she felt it was a wee bit too dirty for her to clean. And I says, Nancy, I says, that's what happens in church. When you come to clean it, I says, sometimes it gets a wee bit dirty. And she says, well, I'm not going to clean the church if it's going to be as dirty as this. So I think she hung on for a few more months. And of course, I was there for 13 years. And then eventually she put in a word of a letter of resignation. I'm resigning from the church. The church is too dirty. So I went to see her, and uh, one Sunday afternoon, after a letter of resignation, I said, Nancy, I'm not having it. I said, I'm not having you resigning from the church. I said, I'm here to tell you you're not resigning. I said, you can step down from cleaning the church and we'll do some, give you something else, but you're not resigning. I'm just telling you that. But straight. <laughs> then I got up and gave her a big hug. Oh, she said, I hate you. You're always getting round me, she says. <laughs> and I, went, I was preaching there not very long ago, and she's still in the congregation. And you see, there's a, a word of warning, a word of rebuke, a word of correction, and a big hug. Just a word of encouragement along the way. She had times like that in her life when she would want to give up. 
And we need to have that. A correction, a rebuke, and, and an encouragement coming along with exhortation is something we need to give to those who are tempted to give less than their best. And that's so important when Paul's teaching here to Timothy. I want you to preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. And the same is true in Hebrews. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 11 and 12. Hebrews chapter 12, just the next book from 2 Timothy. Next page, Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 11 and 12. What do we find in Hebrews chapter 12, 11 and 12? It says this, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And then he says in verse 12, Therefore strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so the lame may not be disabled, or rather, but rather healed. Strengthen your weak knees, your feeble arms and your weak knees. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. A word of exhortation for those who are giving less than their best. Strengthen your weak arms and your feeble arms and your weak knees. God's got a work for you to do. And sometimes it takes that word of rebuke, that word of correction, alongside encouragement, just to see us doing that for us. Encouragement then affirms those who do not see their value and potential. Encouragement praises those who are taking scary steps of faith. Encouragement consoles those who have the spiritual wind not out of them. And encourage exhorts those who are tempted to give less than their best. In closing, let me just say some, some application here. Four categories of encouragement, the move five, that I've outlined. And then one, number one is this. If you want to be effective in this area of being an encourager, you better get to know God's word. Get to know the Bible. There's a wonderful verse here in Romans 15 and 4. You can read it yourself when you get home. If for everything that was written in the past was written, Paul says, to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Through endurance and the encouragement of God's word we might have hope. Do you know God's word? How well do you know God's word? There's some tremendous verses in God's word. One of the less known ones is, is it Jeremiah 28, 29, 11, isn't it? I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you, I won't give us the future and the hope. And there's lots of verses like that you can pass on to somebody. And I believe God wants you to get to know God's word. Get to know it really well. Because God can very often lay a verse on your heart, a passage even. And you've got to pass that on to somebody. There's something burning in your heart uh, and you need to pass that on. It's a bit like one of the prophets in the Old Testament that this is, this is really burning within me. As Amos, I think, is going to pass it on. So that's important. Also it says in Isaiah 15 verse 4, The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed, an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. To know the word that sustains the weary, he says in Isaiah. I think that's quite tremendous. Then secondly, make it your goal to meet with other believers. You need to meet with other believers. The verse is so well known to us in, in Hebrews 10.25. But the 